Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Extra Canon Podcast. It is the 55th installment of uh, of this podcast. And, um, you know, it's really coming into its own now because it, it is basically um, here doing what it was always supposed to do. It's talking about big midweek football. Um, and now we've got the opportunity to speak about really big Champions League nights and it felt like last night for Arsenal was a, a really, really big Champions League night after, you know, what what was quite a, a difficult weekend. And on at the weekend, obviously, we didn't get all three points, but we got a result. And last night felt quite similar because even though we played really well uh, for like a very brief period of the game, uh, we just sort of did what we needed to do and then got the performance over the line at the end. But you know, enough of that. Let's uh, let's get the niceties out of the way before we before we sink sink our teeth into uh, last night's action. Um, I am, of course, your host Rob Worthington, and I am joined by the man who usually joins me when I host this show. It is Mac Johnson. It is the original Extra Canon Podcast duo. How are we doing, Mackie? I'm doing alright, you know, Robbie. I am. I'm having a good time. It was good to get three points yesterday. Um, I followed that win up directly by watching my hockey team, ice hockey, not field hockey. For those, by the way, of you who are from Europe or the UK, because I know that's a difference now. Um, apparently, when I say hockey, people assume field hockey, and that's odd to yeah, me. Somebody who's grown up watching ice hockey. Yeah, fair enough. Well, mm. ice hockey. Um, I watched my team lose four nothing. It's my second game of the year, and in those two games, they've lost four nothing. Sorry, it was the season opener. And they just lost 4-1, so I think I may have to stop going. But um, no, it's on the football side of things. Nice to get a big Champions League win against a Sevilla team that kind of haven't really, as you know, Alfie and I talked about on the last Arsenal Cannon podcast, have not really shown all that much this year in La Liga, but who are a perennially tough test in European competitions. I mean... Alf made the joke that they were aiming for Europa League spot in their Champions League qualification, and you can see why based on their pedigree. But also, you know, they do have a lot of very good players. Not Eric Lamella, the bum, but they're a talented squad. And they, while not necessarily giving us a big test last night, definitely pushed some buttons I think we weren't expecting. So I imagine we're going we're gonna to dive into that. Yeah, the, the TNT commentator commented on the uh, fact that... Um, they had a big flag up before the game that had like the Europa League trophy on it, and it said in Spanish like yeah. "my beauty" or "my darling" or something on it. Um, yeah, as as we all know, Sevilla have a a proper romantic uh, relationship w- with that competition. But you know, generally, apart from City going there and smacking them last season, it is a very very sort of tough place to go. Um, it's one of those really really tough European away days, and for a side that you know, perhaps hasn't been performing as uh, they would like to in, in tough European away days. It it, it did feel like an, an important one to get over the line, a, a sort of a sort of like an arrow in our, in our collection, I suppose. Um, and yeah, I think that was emphasised in sort of the post that I've seen after the game from the players. Declan Rice uh, posted, you know, UCL away win, uh Martinelli was posting about his goals I'm sure there was a post from Saka as well so I think you can tell that one that one did mean a lot and I think you know let's just jump straight into it because I was an agitated figure in the group chat before Martinelli's goal went in I think it, it it's fair to say 
And I, I, I think perhaps, you know, Alfie said I was overreacting. I think I was probably overreacting, not for the reasons that he thought. I think he thought I was being overcritical of the performance. I think I was probably being overcritical of the performance in the context of the 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 sort of the occasion. Um, you know, clearly winning a big European game is something that these players uh, they they sort of wanted to get over the line. Um, and yeah, we we finally did it. Um, so I think I was being a bit overcritical from from that perspective. How how big do you think that win was sort of mentally for Arsenal after a few like difficult away games under Arteta in Europe over, you know, his tenure at the club. I mean, the ni- I guess the nice thing is it's not even an Arteta-specific problem. Like, there were some pretty nasty Europa League eliminations. Of course, we think about the final. But Arteta especially has had problems when it comes to European competitions and away days. We've lost some pretty embarrassing ties to teams we should have beaten in the past few years. And... You know, last season had the nice consolation of, well, we have a chance to compete for the league, but kind of every year before that, there was a lot of uncertainty about almost his quality and his ability to manage in Europe. And I don't want to take that totally out of context. Of course, it's his first managerial job, and there were a set list of excuses that we kind of spent up throughout the years. But I think to finally do it on an away day is huge. Uh, We got pretty trampled by the atmosphere away at Lens. So to kind of come back and show up to Seville, another place with an unbelievable atmosphere against a team that are having a new coach bounce and who play with the requisite Spanish style and flair and dynamism, even if, you know, again, they're not in the upper echelons of La Liga as they might expect. Um, I think just for a squad to kind of prove to themselves that it's something they can do was big. And for, you know, Martinelli to do it on Champions League debut, um, for Jesus to kind of be in and around the goals, but for the team to really function well as a unit, I think was was the most important part. And a lot of our discussion, Rob, in the group chat, I think was stemming around the differences between our out of possession and in possession structures and shapes and the fact that a lot of people, uh, current podcast favorite John McKenzie included, have you know declared Arsenal the best out-of-possession team in the world. And we looked pretty woeful on the ball last night and compared to what was a very stout out-of-possession game. I mean, their first shot on target was the header that they scored to take their, their goal in a 2-1 loss in this in you know late in the second half like that's not a bad performance from us we stifled them we just happened to look sloppy and slow and anemic is a word i like to use a lot in these scenarios we kind of just looked anemic just very safe in possession um very a la the arsenal of two seasons ago when we finished fifth yeah i think I've been feeling it now for a couple of weeks whilst watching Arsenal and it goes back to that Man City game that the the risk aversion is sort of off the scale sometimes. We we get the ball out to Sacro Martinelli and, and those are good those those guys that we just need to beat their man or put in a dangerous ball. And at the moment it just feels like every time we get the ball into a dangerous position, it's uh it's a recycle job. Um and I think like you know, when when you're getting to 
that sort of city level of control. You're, you're going to have matches like that where instead of taking the risk, you are just going to keep the ball. But this is a, sort of a big Champions League away night. And if the Champions League requires anything, it requires moments of magic. Um, and it just felt like we were scared of, of producing them at times in that first half. And I was totally fine with it against Man City at home. I'm totally fine with us taking absolutely no risks to ensure that, you know, some of the best players in the world can't counter us and we, we give the ball away and look, look very open. I'm, I'm totally fine with that. Um, it's just, you know, against Chelsea at the weekend, um, you've got someone like Malo Gusto, who, as you alluded to, to in the last podcast, Mac, isn't the finest defender in world football, especially not one-on-one. And, you know, Martinelli, honestly, mate, just drop a shoulder, do what you can against him. Um, you got the same on the other side with Sacco and Kukurea. Kukurea is a, a good one-on-one defender when he's allowed to sort of tear his man to the ground. But, um, you know, when you get running at him, as was shown when um, in sort of after they went 2-0 up and Saka woke up, uh, there was opportunities there. And, and then and then you've even got things as simple as running behind like a 39-year-old defender. Um, it just felt like everything is a bit safe at the moment. And yeah, may, maybe in our in our concerns, we'll, we'll, we'll get on to that a little bit more but let's start with the good stuff because it is a is a 2-1 win uh, at the end of the day and i think for me at least there was a period between sort of when martinelli scored and then there was a half time break but we came flying out after the break and i just felt like the whole second half performance was completely different to to the first half in, in general um and you know, after we went 2 0 up, it, it really did look like we would uh, sort of perhaps go and run away with it. Um, but yeah, hit, hit me with some of that good stuff because I'm sure that it, it could well be coming from that that sort of 15 minute spell of just some really, really lovely football. Yeah, I'd say good stuff was our ability to, first of all, our ability to turn up the wick, you know, in a moment of transition for Jesus to pull out the Cruyff turn that he did take two people, including Sergio Ramos, the dinosaur out of, out of the match and, you know, slide Martinelli through. And also Martinelli, I we should mention missed a one-on-one chance early in the game for him to have the composure to not even look at the keeper as he's dribbling around him and just pass it into the goal. It's a lovely goal, lovely finish. But, you know, we've seen with this team that they kind of tend to score and perform well in fits and spurts. It'll be, you know, a rather average, and by average that usually means like very controlled 60 minutes with 30 minutes of it in which we happen to score all three of our goals. That's kind of the the pattern this Arsenal team plays within. Um, and I think we were very fluid after we scored. Like in the second half, we transitioned from kind of rest play to very aggressive attacking in transitions and high-speed movement back to kind of a very defensive structure fluidly. And it was good to see. Um, I do think the game got a little bit more open towards the end as Sevilla brought on kind of a larger host of attackers and we settled into a lower block to see the game out. But for the most part, 
I thought tactically we were very much superior and you know it was definitely a match that we deserved to win um we created enough chances whether it's Martinelli's miss or some of the other half ones Odegaard had a couple of good looks that really didn't go anywhere Saka had a good look um there were opportunities to score in that match and we you know gave them very few on the balance of it because we've come away with three points it looks like a really good result and it is an unbelievable result um i would say were this a draw the narrative around our game and some of our passivity might be a little different but as it is with the goals we scored and when we scored them i would say it was pretty well managed across the board yeah i think i would probably agree um like I think at a tough European away ground, it, it's hard to then just, you know, I think I said it in the group chat, as soon as we conceded that header, which by the way, like as much as uh, you can criticize set piece defending, I think in some of these grounds, the ball just gets sucked into the net and it, it really did feel, feel like one of those goals. Um, and the, at the end of the day for a team of severe stature with the, their level of financial power the success they've had in europe over the last you know few seasons is unprecedented it's a special special footballing stadium that one uh and a special football club and special nights happen like and as sergio ramos said after the game like dinosaur he may be they went toe-to-toe with real madrid at the weekend they are enjoying some good form it as much as you know, they are sitting at the depth of La Liga. I think we all knew this. This wasn't going to be sort of a straightforward European night, um, and I think the only way it was going to be a, a straightforward European night is if we grabbed that third goal when when we were two 0 up. And at these grounds, it's it's always hard um, to to stop the opposition from scoring because you know the the crowd is so powerful. But I think for my good stuff. I've got to say that I'm delighted that Gabriel Jesus is replicating his strong Manchester City Champions League form for Arsenal. Um, I mean, when you're talking about, you know, your one of your best players, someone who, you know, a lot of people feel is Arsenal's best player at his very best. These are the nights that, that you want them to turn up in and... Gabriel Jesus is doing it so far in the Champions League. You can look at PSV where he was just utterly majestic, probably his best performance of the season as a whole. Uh, and then even Lons, you know, he did his bit and his teammates sort of let him down. He, he grabbed an early goal with a superbly taken finish. And at the end of the day, Gabriel Jesus wins this match for Arsenal because without him, they don't score the two goals they do on the night. Um you know, I, I'm going to add to that sort of waxing lyrical over the Cruyff turn. It is a Cruyff turn is one of like the simplest skill moves in football, but when they come off, I don't think there's anything quite as aesthetically pleasing. Watching one player turn and two opponents go the other way, it it is absolutely brilliant. And you know, the one that always sticks in my mind is actually like how Robson Carnu in um, at the Euros in 2016. I think it was against Belgium and he just completely turns the defenders with the simplest Cruyff turn but don't they look wonderful when they come off and then a really well-weighted ball to Martinelli again good finish and then the second goal is you know 
it's right up there with his best best goals in an Arsenal shirt. You know, quite similar to the one he scored very early on in his Arsenal tenure against Leicester. Um, you know, that, that sort of finish into the top right-hand corner. I remember he scored a very similar one for City a bit further out against Burnley years and years ago. It's it's a finish that he does have in his locker. And it's funny because he actually missed a very similar chance in the first half um, when the ball was just sort of stuck under his feet and he digged it over. But I just loved it. And I, I, again, I keep referencing the group chat. I bet you're all wishing that you were in the writers' chat right now uh, with, with the, the kind of stuff I chuck in there. But um, It's great because it's usually dry as a desert. Yeah. And, then we'll, and then we'll have it's like where, one good match and everyone kicks off. It's basically when I'm watching the game on my laptop and I can like um, move between tabs and get WhatsApp open. Um, and then, but, you know, the long ball from, from Raya, the knock, the sweeping up by Declan Rice, which I think is probably his best sort of attribute in that left eight role. It seems to be working pretty well against City. We saw that as well, the way he can just anticipate things coming off and winning the second ball. And then the individual quality by Jesus. It is one of those goals that sort of characterises what Arsenal can be now. Um, you know, I think last season it was very plan A and I'm not sure we, we really scored that goal last season just because... The long ball isn't as much of a sort of real option because you're hitting any one of Saka or Martinelli and really you're you're hoping for something to pinpoint if you do that. Uh, whereas this, you can sort of hit and hope because you've got a combative player and Jesus up there who of course was there last, last season, but you know had a difficult second half of the season recovering from his injury and then was obviously out for a while. But then you don't have someone like Declan Rice in the midfield mopping up and what what a difference that makes. And I'm sure we'll get onto his performance as well. Perhaps um perhaps an explosive moment from Declan Rice. We have seen uh, a decent little clip doing the rounds on Twitter, haven't we, where he well, I'll save it for later. Um but yeah, I think that would be my good stuff, just seeing Jesus replicate his uh, City Champions League form for Arsenal and, and long may it continue. He seems to be a specialist in that competition. Um, should we move on to concerns, Mac? Well, I think there is one more good stuff I do want oh, to elevate. Please, please, please right. do continue the good stuff. Um, the last good stuff I, I want to slide onto the table here is, can we just give a word for Takahiro Tomiyasu and his yeah, performance? He was, he was uh, utterly fantastic. Yeah. We we spoke about him uh, against Chelsea and how he kind of very much changed the way we played because he was able to, you know, do all the things he does defensively and he looked comfortable. And uh, I think there was a, a, someone in the chat might have been Alan Riley. Don't know why that name's on my lips, but he was like, oh, it's it's, it's bold or it's brave or it, it says something to start Tomiyasu in this match. And I agree. Um, shout out to Sash, LT Arsenal's uh, anti-Zinchenko vendetta. Um, but you know, just in general, it's, it's a statement. Um, and he played magnificently. He was great on the ball, great off the ball, really didn't set a foot wrong. Um, filled in where he needed to, uh, played in the center of the midfield, like as an eight, some of the time with kind of rice drifting around and supporting and did not yeah, very yeah. early. I was it just was like, just good to see him like have a day. Tomiyasu is in the Shaka role right now. Correct. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's he sort of thing was you're when we, your eyes. Yeah. Well, he also was when we scored that goal against City, right? He makes the big run forward. Yeah, yeah. 
Love it. Was, I there love was it, even man. a moment earlier on than that, like very, yeah. very early on in the game, and the ball's just pumped up the line, and I'm like, that's <laughs> yeah. Tommy Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why is he up there? There was one moment late in like the 80th as well where he just decided to join Havertz in pressing as a striker. Like Trussard had dropped deep into the left back to defend someone, and Tommy is like, screw it, I'm going. He chases three players down and then jogs on back, and it was lovely. But yeah, man, uh, he had a great day. And we're, we're going to talk, I think, also about some of the other players who who played very well um, and who had very good performances. But he was a name that I did not want to want to let slip by the wayside before we talk concerns. Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because I I actually wrote an article when when Timber got injured, and I was like, if you look at all our depth, then we should actually be okay if we if we don't have too many injuries. And Tommy was like one of those that I looked at and was like, yeah, he's one that can basically do what Timber does. But And then I sort of got scared again because Tommy wasn't sort of... I think, you know, we all know that Tommy last season wasn't the Tommy of, uh, of the season before. But yeah, it, it it just does make you think, doesn't it? Maybe Arteta's been sort of waiting for him to get back to his very, very best. Um, and it looks like he's he's been unleashed lately and... I think it's the best that he's sort of inverted in an Arsenal shirt as well. Um, I remember last season when he sort of came in at the start of the season uh, when when Zinchenko had his injury problems, and his inversion just just wasn't effective. Um, but this season, you know, I think it works, especially with with having Jorginho and Rice there. If Tommy's allowed to move a bit more further forward and not have the pressure on his shoulders to collect the ball in midfield all the time because we've got Rice dropping in, we've got Jorginho constantly showing. It is something that perhaps we'll, we'll see a bit more of. And, you know, Zinchenko is a guy that I'll always have a lot of time for. He plays a very unique role. But um, when you've got, uh, I think when you've got two progressors in Rice and uh, Jorginho, you don't need him. And then you sort of add defensive solidity having Tommy there so yeah I, I would agree um, fantastic fantastic display by him right up there for man of the match um, it, was, it was a real tough one to call last night um, but yeah uh, I think also probably just a word on the general defensive display it's the first time in a while because I think it's probably something that Arteta might feel we've moved past a little bit Um it was the first time we sort of went low block backs to the wall. Um, and we just did seem a little bit impenetrable by the end, like having all those huge guys back there. You've got bloody Ben White playing wing back at the end. Um, and yeah, we, we just did seem absolutely formidable. So a, a fantastic low block display. In fairness, I would not want to play against a back five of Ben White and Tomiyasu, Five who are backs. yeah, center backs wide, and then with Kivior in as well. I mean, that dude is impossible to beat in the air. He's so large. Like, yeah, definitely enjoyed that aspect of our defensive performance, and glad that Kivior got some minutes too. I've been I've been missing him. I like him a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose with the sort of dynamic change after the start of the season when we had Partet right back, um, you know, Gabriel's just back in the team he's a guaranteed start when we play the sort of left back inversion so it's a it's a wider left center back and a central right center back um 
but yeah, and the and the back four has been a little bit more settled, to be fair. But yeah, it was good to see Kivior get some minutes. Let's move on to concerns then. Um, you know, I don't think it's it's anything that we need to sort of dwell on for too long today. But I think I was probably right to be a little bit annoyed about the first half, and we've already sort of delved into a few little bits. I've got a couple of things today, but um, I'll pass the ball on to you uh, and let you get gas rolling on some kind of concerns for uh, yesterday's match. Yes, now. Um, well, it's interesting because... One of our best performers is Declan Rice, uh, or was Declan Rice last night. Um, and he's also my canning concern. <laughs> and we're, we're going to step into this. Declan Rice, the man, is not something that I am concerned about. What I am more concerned about is our ability as a team when we play with Rice at the left eight. And... I love Declan Rice at the left eight. Don't get me wrong. But I think that it's great against like a Manchester City, right? Where we need him to drop in to play a double pivot, you know, to provide extra defensive stability, to make those rangy runs, to exist maybe a little more on the counter. And you can see him growing in confidence in that advanced role. He's calling for the ball for cutbacks. There was one where he was wide open and Saka couldn't find him in time and had to recycle. But, you know, somewhere he was looking to shoot, right? He's making runs. He's providing opportunities. He doesn't look totally natural there. But then again, neither did Granit Xhaka, and he made it work pretty well. Um, My concern with it is just in a sense that it necessitates Jorginho or Partey, which I think in some ways inherently limits the creative ability of our midfield. I think Jorginho is unbelievable at ball recycling and also at breaking lines with good passes. But with Rice at the eight, he tends to play very, very deep, almost an auxiliary center back at times to allow Ben White and Tomiyasu to kind of advance. And while his passing from there is metronomic and allows us to retain and recycle and be good, um, he just, frankly... Declan Rice, I think, does very well in the six because of how athletic he is and how much that his, you know, Harry Hoover of a presence allows us to kind of play an extra attacking midfielder. Rob, you look like you're about to sneeze right now. Are you good, mate? Like, you're right. <laughs> just have a leaky eye. Just carry on. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I don't know. I think a lot of my frustration was similar both in the first half against Chelsea and the first half against Sevilla was that we were kind of a little slow and a little ponderous and it just there wasn't enough kind of dynamism and quickness and creation through our midfield and i find that Jorginho is somewhat symptomatic of that and you know parte did not travel to spain because of 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 a of an injury uh in in the world's largest air quotes um shout out to prosecutors in spain but you know i the it we're, it, it won't matter, but if we travel to Spain again, we're essentially going to not bring him again. Um, so, yeah, I I don't love Jorginho and Rice together all the time. They There are matches in which they're useful, again, in Manchester City, in that specific game state, but I don't actually find them to be that good as a recipe for 
Yeah, I sort of spring. expected more from that. Yeah. I, I really looked at it and thought, blimey, they are going to complement each other so well with Rice sort of doing all the mopping up stuff that we don't associate with Jorginho. Right. But and I they think, do I think when just, they're allowed yeah. to play like deep together, you know? But as soon as Rice advances and Jorginho is that little bit more isolated and kind of, I, it almost looks like he like drops between the defenders for protection. Because the only space that he can find space is like in what would be our traditional back four before our wing backs or uh, full backs, whomever, go and, you know, attack, overlap, come inside with Tomiyasu, do whatever, right? But he's a great balancing tool and he's a great servant, but I do think that he's not quite Arteta's first choice. Yeah, but, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, just, just to chime in on this, I think that, you know, by the time Jorginho was here, uh, like last season, Granite Shaka knew that role like the back of his hand. Uh, he knew exactly where to be, and he'd know in some games like Newcastle away last season, where you know Jorginho, you know, played an you know it was an absolute clinic from Jorginho in in the number six role. He had Shaka who completely understood at all times where to be, when to drop in next to him. But now Jorginho's got. Declan Rice next to him, who's who's still learning about about that role, and Declan Rice is clearly naturally a six, but at the moment he's still learning about when he needs to be further up and when he needs to drop in. Because you know, Granite Xhaka did still drop in at, at, at times last season, especially towards the, the end of the season when our, our system our system was a little bit flawed. It was only really right at the beginning of the season where we see Granite Xhaka basically playing as a striker. Um, so, yeah, obviously, you know, Rice is, is is learning every time he's playing this this more advanced role, as he is as a six. These are two new roles for him. He's only ever really played in a double pivot apart from when he's been playing for England. But I think for Jorginho, without a specialist there, it's always going to look a little bit different. And I think understandably, as two of the world's, like, you know, best sixes, but also two of the world's most conservative sixes, you know, on the ball I'm talking about here. Um, they are just naturally going to step on each other's toes. And I think there's going to be stuff that needs to be worked out there. Yeah, 100%. Um, and that's kind of why it's my canon concern, you know, because it's, again, I understand that there is a necessary betting in period for new signings i'm not an idiot but also like i think at a certain point this is not necessarily the season to do a lot of familiarizing we already have a large project in kai havertz like i you know having this georginia rice partnership is in some ways the best way for rice to learn that left eight role um especially sans number five but yeah um just it's it hasn't been clipping cl clipping clicking the past few matches uh the way that i kind of that it did against city in the way that i think it needs to in order for our midfield to get involved a little bit more because i also think with potentially rice's lack of understanding and Jorginho's lack of mobility um i think that might also be leading to some of the struggles of martin odegaard again something i talked about extensively as a canon concern with alfie in our last show but about kind of the different ways that he's popping up in our system and it's kind of not working. Like to see him withdrawn for Kai Havertz is a statement from Arteta because usually when it's Odegaard off the field, it's at least Vieira 
or Smith Rowe that comes on, someone who's kind of a theoretical creator for Arteta to take off Odegaard and say, well, we need to look at something different and go about this game in a different way than what he provides, I think is something we've rarely seen from Arteta when it comes to hooking his captain. Um, And I don't know how much of that can be put down to the other two midfielders because Odegaard was, again, just not great on the day. But yeah, man. That's I mean, your kind of concern, by the way, of curiosity. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, just to, just to finish off that bit, um, I think, you know, before I, I really form a proper conclusion on Rice in the left eight, we need to see him with Partey again. I think we have only seen Partey and Rice on the pitch at the same time when one Partey has either been playing right back or in midfield. We've only seen it against Manchester City. Uh, you know, first in the Community Shield and then in the dying embers of that, um, in, you know, great day a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, you know, it, it does look good because you've got Rice who, who you know, is such a powerful runner. And then you've got Partey there who is a bit more of an expansive passer. So there is something there. I just think that, you know, I liked what Alfie alluded to in, in in the last episode when he just said that I feel like people are just trying to force Rice into that left central midfield role and I feel like they're trying to do that because it's familiar and we've had usually uh, a sort of a 6-8 hybrid in, in that role um, and someone who is able to sort of drop in. But, you know, I think a, a key difference is that Rice isn't left-footed, so the sort of passing angles often aren't quite right, um, especially, you know, either to to find Martinelli or whoever's playing at, at left-back. Um, so th- there, there is a difference there. They're, they're not the same players, and whilst Rice does offer some really cool things, like we saw with the, the second goal, just the ability to, oh, ball in midfield, I'm going to take that. Um, he, he doesn't quite have the, you know, the natural body shape to play some of the passes that the left eight should be playing or those goal scoring tendencies, you know, at the end of the day, Shaka played six months in that role before, you know, last season. And it took him a long time to start, you know, really getting the goals. Um, and that's the other thing I think before long rice is just going to be our six. So you do just think <laughs> like how purposeful is, is all of this training him up to play that. Obviously it's a useful alternative, but, um, yeah, um, I do agree with Alfie that there does seem to be this sort of tendency from fans just to shove him in there and think, oh, it's going to be fine if he plays there. Um, as for my concerns, my first is going to be uh, something that I, I think I you know, uh, said twice in the group chat last night, which was uh, we are so wasteful when we win the ball back high up the pitch. And this is, again, uh, alluding to that John McKenzie tweet about Arsenal being the best out-of-possession team in, in Europe. And it's it's not something that I disagree with. It's just like, if you're going to be the best out-of-possession team in Europe, when you win the ball back, thanks to that brilliant out-of-possession structure, you have to do something with it. Um, and there's been far too many times this season, and there were times in the first half yesterday, when... We are just so, so wasteful when, especially when we come up against quite a structurally poor side or or not even structurally poor, just a poor side and we win the ball back and they are completely open and all we have to do is 
find your man, find your man, find your man. And then, you know, you're a couple yards out from goal and you, and you score. There needs to be more serenity when we win the ball back. And I feel like, you know, even though Declan Rice was absolutely majestic on the night, I think this is something that he struggles with a little bit. I think he wins the ball back really high up the pitch and then he's a bit of a rabbit in headlights. Um, and, you know, I I get it. He's like a hybrid 6'8". He's not used to being that high on the pitch. But, um, yeah, it, it's it's a real frustrating one when, when we get into that, into those forward areas. Um, after winning the ball high, and um, and we just give it away. Um, so yeah, that that's just something for me that is is grinding my gears at, at the moment. Anything to add on that one, Mac? Um, yeah, for those of you listeners, myself included, who were unfortunate enough to watch uh, Spurs Fulham, oh, uh, this past weekend, you may recall or remember um, that. Fulham basically gifted Tottenham both of their goals because Tottenham had, you know, forced the same error um, on two attempts from Fulham to build out from the back. They targeted the same player, Calvin Bassey, picked off the same pass and went through the same kind of sequence of, uh, you know, passes to, to, to put the ball in the net. And it was just two ruthless finishes off of good out of possession turnovers. Now, don't you know, remark on me to be a Spurs fan. I am in no way supporting this because I am here for their misery and their downfall. But specifically, um, they kind of showed that cutting edge, that killer instinct that we show, that Manchester City show. I mean, hell, if Manchester United pressed out of possession the way that we do, you know, if they had the success winning the ball high, they would be this best transitional team in the world scoring off their goals off counters and quick opportunities that Eric Ten Hag is kind of wanting them to be. Um, we, yeah, I just think I do agree we need to take advantage. Um, but to an extent, I think this might just be a symptom of youth and experience. You know, we are not exactly a team where cool heads tend to prevail. Even our experienced players like Zinchenko and Jesus tend to go a little loco um, on the field sometimes, a little crazy. They are passionate players, but they are players that kind of tend to play very quickly and very directly um, in opportunities where maybe it would be better just to take a sec. Uh, and I think that's where where Martin Odegaard is. Maybe I want to see him be a little calmer and a little more cool-headed because his composure was very good for us in those sort of moments last season. But I think because of some of his struggles this season, he's rushing a little bit more. He's kind of caught up in that frenetic energy. Right, ladies and gentlemen, sorry, we've had a few technical difficulties and, you know, historically this doesn't end well on this podcast, but we are relying on the data gods now to uh, to help us out and get get this podcast finished because, you know, my university has Wi-Fi has decided that it doesn't want to play ball today. Um, but yeah, just to, Mac has uh, updated with me, updated me on what he was just saying and i i do agree in in the sense that just in transition we 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 maybe just need to work on our, our patterns or something um he, what what he says is right about man united and the way that if they could press like us um 
that they would score a lot more goals because they're superb on the transition and we're, and we're just not quite there yet. Um, so yeah, that's just um, something to work on over the next few weeks. And I, I think my other concern just has to be something which, because I wasn't on the podcast of the weekend, I haven't had the opportunity to talk about and it has to be the goalkeeping situation and just sort of adding fuel to the fire of what Alfie was saying uh, about the fact that this is now a uh, sort of a dilemma and something that we have to think about all the time. And it's not something that we used to have to talk about at all. Um, and yeah, I, I just look at that, that last minute punch from David Raya, like genuinely horrific goalkeeping that there's, there's no way of sugarcoating it. Um, so reckless. Um, and you know, moments earlier, great. He's come and collected the ball confidently. And I agree. I think it's a, I agree with Arteta. I think it's a real, you, you know, real quality that he brings to the side that Ramsdale doesn't, his ability to come and put claim But when he does come and try and claim and then flaps, it's, it's always very nervy. It's not something he does regularly, but it is something that he does have in his locker. And, you know, just to give my sort of thoughts on this one, I think when we signed Raya, I spoke about <clears throat> the idea of Raya bringing calm to our backline and being that sort of figure of serenity back there, where, whereas Ramsdale has always been a chaos goalkeeper. He loves giving it to the away fans and he loves doing knee slides at home when we score. Um, they're, they're completely different characters, but I think what Raya has been brought in to do, which is add that calmness back there, he's no longer doing because he is panicked. He's, as um, you know, Alfie suggested, he's playing these short passes maybe because that's what Ramsdale's dropped for was dropped for when really when you look at all the data uh that's what raya is sort of not so good at what he is really good at is those long range passing that long range passing and even that seems to be out the window a little bit at the moment he keeps punting it into touch and that's not something that he was doing at all when he um you know first came into the team and you know, I think Chelsea did really well at clogging the central areas, areas that he likes to try and pick out the passes, the, the longer range passes, that is, and forcing him to maybe displace his, his wide passing. But I think just generally the debate that is back there, it, it isn't good for the football club at all. Um, and, you know, you already weighed in on this at the weekend, so I'm not sure how much more you can really add to this that you hadn't already, but... It is something that I'm really concerned about now. And I just feel, you know, even I got swept up in it last night and posted a picture of Aaron Ramsdale on my Twitter. It's just not nice that at the end of every match, it seems to be that there's a, a common sentiment of we want Ramsdale and goal among the Arsenal fans. Yeah, and I, again, I touched on all of this after Chelsea. Um I, I I I agree with a lot of fans. I would like to see Aaron Ramsdale back. Most of that is because I love Aaron Ramsdale. Um, that crazy punch from Raya is something that we would have seen from him a lot last season, by the way. Like, you know, Ramsdale's the type of goalie that does crazy shit, and most of the time it works out, but his biggest efficiency is when it doesn't, it makes him look really bad. Um, 
Raya is the type of goalie who plays 90% of the time like he's on top of the world and plays 10% of the time like he's got the entire world on his shoulders. Um, at least that's been his narrative in an Arsenal shirt so far. And I think, you know, we've, we kind of touched on the popularity and everything and all of the reasons why this debate is honestly a bad thing and sucking up way too much time. The only thing... And by the way, if, if you haven't listened to Gary Neville's rant about it, don't. It's stupid and really just biased. But from my perspective, at least. I'm convinced yeah. that Gary Neville's been told oh, by yeah, yeah, yeah. to drum this up. So 100%, yeah. because it's a thing and they have to have controversy at Arsenal. I mean, like, the level of, you know, ridiculousness that his rant goes to. It's just like, come on, man, figure it out. But uh, my big issue with this entire thing is that Raya isn't doing anything to prove the argument wrong like his first couple of games at the club you know everyone was like oh is this a number one number two situation it's not clear and then raya balls out and everyone's like oh he's just good like he's just better um but the fact that some i'll say it ramsdale-esque mistakes are creeping into his game and kind of we've almost seen with him what we saw with ramsdale in a in a much shorter span of time that he's gone from exceptional and revolutionary to still very good but we kind of have a bigger sample size for the errors and the mistakes within his game and his deficiencies right every player has them every goalie has them maybe except allison becker well no allison occasionally forgets he's handsome and shaves his beard that's his biggest deficiency because he really has few problems outside of that um legit he might be the only keeper in the world i can say about that though because or say that about because Everyone else has their problems. Ederson and Onana aren't amazing shot stoppers. Raya and Ramsdale, it seems, both have a little error kind of tucked into their back pocket. So, I don't know, man. Um, I'd love to see Ramsdale against his old club. I don't think it'll happen because I think Arteta is the type of person who, to an extent, picks favorites, but also who trusts in his own methods and in how he wants his team to play. And he tends to put the 11 out there that he believes is most likely to execute that game plan. Um, whether or not they should be out there. And I don't even think that Raya has lost the starting spot. I don't think that there really should be a starting spot, personally. I think the two keepers are more on par than we believe. But just in general, um, I don't know. He's both not done enough to say I should be dropped, but it's also not playing well enough to shoo him in above Ramsdale. So I think it's it's going to be a debate as long as one of them isn't mediocrely better than the other and because they're both very talented that's never going to happen so it's a little dire i will i will admit i think it's also a similar case to our our captain i don't think david rise in good form i don't i think he was when he came into the side i think against everton he was fantastic with the ball i was actually quite blown away by how good he was on the ball uh same goes for psv at home uh and maybe since then Teams have adapted a little bit and figured out little things that uh, you can do to, to stop him being so effective with the ball at his feet. Um, maybe that's the case, but I, I do think his confidence has been knocked. I think the Spurs game hurt him a little bit, just some of the, the sort of poor passing moments. And since then, he's just been nowhere near as assured. And I think, you know, Arteta may have his favourites, but he also is not a guy who's going to he's never someone who changes something until it really needs to be fixed unless it's like i don't know Zinchenko at left back who 
we all know just needs a break every so often. Um, you know, he's going to play Martin Erdegaard till he, till he starts playing well again. And maybe when he starts playing well again, he'll take him out. Like that, that, that would be so Arteta. Um, and you just sense it's going to be similar with Raya. So I just don't like that it's distraction. I don't think anyone does. Um, but yeah, I just hope that Raya can pick up some form because at the moment he doesn't have any form in his in the bank at all. Um, let's move on to explosive moments and then uh, wrap this one uh, wrap this one up. There's not going to be any Sheffield United chat today because it was a big Champions League last night game last night, and uh, I'm sure that's what all the listeners want to be um, hearing about. So we're just going to keep it Champions League focused and. As I hinted earlier in the show, my explosive moment has to be that run from Declan Rice. That £105 million run through the midfield. A run which... Ridiculous, by the way. I don't think any other number six in Europe does that run quite so effectively. And if they do, they're nowhere near as good as Declan Rice is at sweeping up and, and winning the ball back high and that sort of trademark... kneeling tackle that he can do Um, like no one else can do it quite as effectively as Rice and we we saw it at West Ham he scored a majestic goal in uh, the Conference League last season very similar way just runs through the entirety of the opposition's midfield and slots it into the bottom corner I think Alfie put it in the chat he wanted him to go all the way and so did I and I think he probably could have if he really wanted to but you know, good on him for passing the ball on to Saka. It's a shame that uh, Bakaya couldn't make any anything of it. But um, yeah, what a moment that was! And wasn't he flagged off sides by the way, Saka? Oh God, was I he? thought he was. I really at the end. Yeah, he I think he was at the um, end of that. I'm very sure he was. But I just love it because it's one of those clips that we can just show to people and say, "Yeah, that's our 105 million pound midfielder." Yeah, we paid 105 million pounds. Who gives a shit? Because he's that good. Um, he just keeps producing these moments, and yeah, makes me very happy about the fact we signed him. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Um, my explosive moment was the Jay Z's Cruyff turn, um, just because it. I mean, you know, if we're talking about one, I think moment, that probably wins. Actually, I think that does win. Hey, man, it's. To, to be fair, I was deciding between Rice's run and the Jay-Z's Cruyff turn, but I'm thinking if, if it's one moment that changed our match and really just, I mean, it's 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 gross. It's a vile Cruyff turn. Like, there uh, there was a lot of criticism on the on the NBC, uh, sorry, CBS, Paramount Plus, sorry to the crew, because um, I love their commentary team, as does social media. Um you know, they commented like, Sergio Ramos, you are, you know, one of the best defenders in the world historically. The worst thing you can do is get sucked into a turn like that. Um, and I think Henri's point was like, yeah, if you send Jesus outside there, if you make sure he can't do anything in the center of the pitch and send him outside, the attack probably goes nowhere. And, you know, but Ramos has been dummied by one of the most ridiculous turns I've ever seen. And it's opened up our entire goal for Gabriel Martinelli to just run straight through. So that's my explosive moment. Um, and and I think you you agree with me that it, it should be one. Yeah, uh, I think any, it probably any is other the... contenders or is that is that the? Mm, I think that's, that's the only two that 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 sort of uh, spring to mind. Uh, 
if Mano Diaz scores that bicycle kick, it's it's up. Yeah, there. but I don't think he was ever going to. No, <laughs> um, it was miles miles away, but he tried it about three times. I mean, I loved seeing, seeing Saliba do one of his sort of trademark little uh, turns away from a. Oh, from that was a, beautiful. From a, from an ongoing attack uh, in Europe on the biggest stage. I did enjoy that. Uh, and I just loved any moment where Sergio Ramos was sort of left speechless by whatever our players had done. I loved there every couple. I loved every moment where Marcos Acuna was like baffled by the fact that the referee had given a, a blatant foul. Uh, I, I just have to respect the shithousery from him. Uh, but yeah, I think it probably has to be Jesus's Cruyff turn. Like, Whoa, it it was quite sexual that beautiful. One. Um, yeah. The referees were shit as well, by the way. Calling fouls on the biggest hair trigger I've ever seen. Like, yeah, oh I my suppose, word. Like, I suppose hooking Erdegaard for Havertz and playing Havertz in that role was quite significant as well. Um, but wasn't explosive. Yeah, it's he played he played those. quite well, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, it'll be interesting to see we, what we do at the weekend because it is getting into sort of drop Erdegaard territory isn't it and I've got a weigh in on what the boys were saying on the last show and I, I do agree that I think that a lot of the poor attacking output has to do with how poor Erdegaard's been and I think there is role in that but there's also just the fact that he doesn't look quite himself and taking him out of the limelight could be best for him um, you know lashing one over the bar and in, in front of an open goal just isn't Martin Erdegaard you can tell football is, is, is weighing him down a little bit at the moment and maybe just just needs that that rest. Uh, let's face it; he's basically played every minute of football he could possibly play over the last like two years. So, um, yeah, maybe wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Um, you got a spotlight for me today, Mackie? Yes, mate, I do. Um, it's it's kind of a double spotlight, but it's under one category. Um, the category being bans or 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 sanctions or whatever you want to call them. Uh, there have been two big, big bans in the world of football today. The first is that uh, they've announced that Sandro Tonali will be likely banned for 10 months while he has entered into a program to fix his gambling addiction. Um, yeah, super smart of Newcastle to sign a guy with <laughs> gambling addiction. No, uh, I feel bad for the guy. Really, I do, because that shit is serious. But also, you know. The whole thing around it has been funny, and we haven't talked about it on this podcast at all. But basically, that one of the players on the Italian, I think the Italian national team, like comes forth with a gambling addiction to his club and then just snitches on all of his teammates who also are struggling with gambling. Um, good guy move, ridiculously funny. The second ban is a little more interesting. Uh, there's been a, a, a point deduction, a theoretical point deduction. People are saying could be 10, could be 12, could be 15 points deducted from Everton Football Club for financial mismanagement. And this has come kind of out of nowhere with quite very little investigation. And amid all of the the city scandal going on, that is, by the way, an ongoing thing that people just aren't talking about anymore. The fact that all of those financial breaches, 150 plus maybe, are still... uh, Still out there, still getting looked at, um, and they've just arrived to this snap decision with Everton. So, a lot of intrigue, a lot of interesting, uh, dirty, dirty laundry in the Premier League right now. But it'll be bad to see what happens with that. I don't know. I, 
for Everton to be a club that has never been relegated to be relegated because of something like this uh, just leaves a nasty taste in the mouth. So I, I, I hope that justice is served in whatever way, but also that they can recover because I'm quite fond of them, even though I hate playing them. Yeah, it'd be um, quite uh, Premier League-y, I would say, if uh, you know Everton are yes. just slapped with a ban straight or a points deduction straight away. When for some reason we have to wait two years for City's, you know, alleged breaches to be uh, confirmed and any punishments be sort of given to them and let's face it it'll probably just be like a fifty thousand pound fine or something which is obviously you know gonna really hurt man city's feelings um i think my spotlight will be just thierry omri tearing apart that guy on uh, football twitter i mean i think every so often a football twitter account does just need to be um reminded um that you know at the end of the day you are probably hiding before but behind a profile picture and we you know we've had a a guy on the show like, uh, recently who uh, does hide behind a profile picture, but uh, we love him. And um, I think he probably would have enjoyed seeing uh, one of his friends torn apart by Thierry Omri. And how dare you criticize his drip? I mean, yeah, I'm going to say this quietly, but I probably do agree. I didn't think the, the shirt and the combo <laughs> was great, but it I, wasn't I, awesome I, from him, but still. Uh, I would never tweet it. Um, so, yeah, I think that was uh, pretty funny. So if you haven't seen Thierry Omri uh, tearing apart a football Twitter account for criticising his drip, do go and find it on whatever platform you so choose to. Um, right, I think that's all that we have for you today, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it's been a good one. Uh, another, you know, good win for Arsenal. Hopefully the performances start to improve in an attacking sense soon. And hopefully I'm a bit more optimistic on these podcasts about the goalkeeping situation and our attacking numbers and all the rest of it. But it, it was a very good night. It was an impressive backs against the wall performance. And um, yeah, we'll be back with you guys at the weekend, hopefully off the back of a win against Sheffield, Sheffield United. Um, it's one of those that you're looking at and you're licking your lips because hopefully it'll be a nice, easy afternoon at the Emirates. But you never know with this Arsenal team. Uh, but yeah, we'll be back with an Arsenal Cannon podcast this weekend. Uh, this is, however, has been an extra Cannon podcast. I've been your host, Rob Worthington, joined by Mac Johnson. It has been a pleasure. Do review and share with all your friends because they, they will appreciate having us in, in, in their lives as well. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening, everybody, and see you on the next one. Bye.